Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, everybody. I am Lucia Matuonto and welcome to the Relatable Voice podcast, a talk show where my guests and I talk about relatable everyday situations books, and the environment we live in. Remember to subscribe and follow the podcast on social media so you can be notified when a new episode is available. Let's begin. We are continuing the road trip on the RV and today we are speaking to Robert Boog in Valencia, California, USA. He's the author of the book Shakey's Madness, so, Robert, welcome to The Relatable Voice. Thank you, Lucia. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I was so excited to talk to you. Actually, when I saw your book title, I said, I need to talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> so, Robert, tell to our listeners a little bit about you. Okay, well, I am the fifth child in a family of nine children. So I have uh, four older siblings and four younger siblings. So what this means to you is that I was given the great gift of poverty when I was <laughs> young. And I also learned how to negotiate. I'm a very good negotiator. Um, so I, I've been negotiating since I've been in diapers. So you were practically born for negotiating. Oh, yeah, because what my father would do, let's say that uh, Sunday, he would have, let's say, a chicken for dinner. He would start by saying, okay, we'll go oldest first. So my sister Pat was the oldest, and he would start with her. Then he, the next day, he would say, youngest first. <laughs> so my sister Rosie would, you know, start. So then I would have to figure out, like, which piece of chicken I wanted and how to you know, kind of trick my other siblings into wanting, you know, that or pretending to want another piece so that they would take that and then I would get what I would want, yeah, that kind of thing, so. <laughs> I can imagine. And since those time, you thought about being an author or it started like these last years? Well, my, I was born in Minnesota, which is very cold. And my mother caught pneumonia um, two times. And the doctor said, if you catch pneumonia one more time, you'll die. So he said, you must move to a drier climate. So we moved to California. And my father was supposed to be the city manager of like Palm Springs. And um, because the city manager had a motorcycle accident. But when we arrived, you know, in this truck from Minnesota, <laughs> the, the man had recovered and so my father was out of job. So we had to crash at my aunt's house. And there we moved from like city to city until we finally got settled. So I went to a, a number of different schools when I was young 
And uh, when I was in the fourth grade, um, the teacher said, uh, write a story and um, then we'll have recess. I turned in the story and this was my first week of class. And uh, the next day she said, you and I need to see the principal. And so I went there and my mother was there and I was accused of um, somehow copying this story that I wrote in class. And um, so of course the teacher said, or the principal said, tomorrow you'll come here and you'll write a new story for me in my office. So I said, fine. Then I wrote it. Then after that, the next day, the principal said, you don't have to worry about uh, going to class. I mean, in going to your fourth grade English class, you'll go to sixth grade. Then when I was in the sixth grade class, the teacher said, you don't have to come here to this class. You can go to the library and read whatever books you want to read. So that's what I did. So, um, and that teacher, she was very nice. So she encouraged me to write. Wow, very nice. Are you a full-time author or you work with another thing? Well, yeah, I, my wife and I own a real estate company here in Valencia. We've owned it for a long time. And um, so it's, it's kind of a hobby that I do to keep myself out of trouble. Mm -hmm. um, because I'm very good at getting into trouble too. <laughs> so um, I like to uh, just scribble th things. I, I usually, I carry like this yellow line pad. So it looks like this. Uh -huh. And I will write and scribble things on it. And one time I left it at a Starbucks and I forgot about it. I was at a client's house and um, she was selling her home. And she said to me, aren't you gonna write any of this down? And then I realized I left my legal pad at the Starbucks. So I raced back there. I asked the barista, do you have my, you know, a yellow line pad? And she said, yes. And she said, I didn't know you were a songwriter. And I said, um, I didn't either. <laughs> but she said, I have a friend who can sing the song. And so um, I said, sure. I, she sang it and it sounded really good. So uh, from that time on, that, then I, I took some of those scribblings and turn because I what I would do is if I couldn't think of what to write next I would just you know just continue writing the same thing kind of mm -hmm. and she interpreted that as like a chorus of a song so that's kind of how I started doing songwriting writing you know I just play around with words I didn't know you also wrote songs yeah, yeah. so I'll send you one or if you if you're interested you know Please. Um, yeah, but yeah, no, like one song I wrote, it, um, it got like thirty thousand uh, streams, so it's um, it was very popular in, on Spotify and stuff. So. Nice, um, congratulations! <laughs> you not only have the power of negotiating, but also with <laughs> words, and also to being a realtor, you need to negotiate. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and wait. I'm married to a Hispanic woman. I need to negotiate. <laughs> <laughs> All the time. Yeah. My wife has a temper like a microwave, I call it. You know, you put it on, you press the button 10 and her blood is boiling. You know, it doesn't take very much. It's a lighting blood. Yes. And Robert, why did you decide to write a book about William Shakespeare? Well, um, it's kind of a long story, but 
during March of 2020, I kept, I was watching TV because California was locked down like blockbuster video. You know, nobody could do anything. I was watching TV. I kept seeing this commercial on TV for uh, Latuda. And I was wondering, what is Latuda? So I, um, I took out my cell phone and I just, you know, Googled it. I was wondering like, how much does it cost too? Because they had so many commercials of it and it costs $1,500 for a one month supply. And what is it? It is a drug that treats uh, bipolar disorder, the symptoms of it. And then later that same day, I was, um, I was on Twitter and I saw this video for Sir Patrick Stewart and he was reading a, uh, a sonnet a day. Uh, so he was reading Shakespeare. He was reading it and this sonnet was full of, you know, despair and depression. And I was thinking to myself, or I joked, it sounds like old Shake, he could have used some Latuda. And then it occurred to me, what if that were true? What if the real author suffered from bipolar disorder back way back then? It was, must have been still around. And um, wouldn't that be a way of almost like deciding for once and for all? Because people have claimed, well, maybe Sir Francis Bacon really was the author of Shakespeare, or maybe Christopher Marlowe, or you know, this and that. So I thought, that's what I'm going to do. Because one of my favorite TV shows is uh, Monk. It's a detective show where Detective Adrian Monk has uh, compulsive um, disorder, and so uh, obsessive compulsive disorder. And so I was kind of thinking of it like that, and I got into, so I just, I wrote the book out, and um, I sent it to um, four psychiatrists, and um, What's interesting is that they did not disagree with me. So that surprised me. So one, in fact, one, um, one psychiatrist was also an expert on Shakespeare. And he said that I was the first person in over 400 years to come up with this idea. And um, of course my wife said, only you would think of such a thing. You don't think that Shakespeare, so in reality, it looks like it was not Shakespeare who were writing his books, but another person. Correct. So it's kind of like this. Um, in 1963, there was a book of poems that was published in the UK by Victoria Lucas. And we know that Victoria Lucas suffered from bipolar disorder. Um, well, that that's what um, psychiatrists have told us after her death. I mean, they, they decided that she suffered from bipolar disorder 10 or 15 years after her death. And so we know that she died in 1963 and it's a fact. Yet who won the Pulitzer Prize for poetry in 1982? Was it Victoria Lucas? It was no, it was actually Sylvia Plath and Sylvia Plath um, wrote a book called The Bell Jar. And that same book in 1963 was published in England under the pen name, Victoria Lucas. So it was actually Sylvia Plath who wrote The Bell Jar. It wasn't until like 1970 that they changed her name. They changed it in the United States to 
Sylvia Plath. And interestingly enough, okay, so she, Sylvia Plath died in 1963. 19 years later, 1982, she wins the Pulitzer Prize for her collected poems. So we know that Sylvia Plath did not write any new poems after 1963, correct? Because mm -hmm. she died of a suicide. Now, I'm gonna reveal the, the author, the real author was a man by the name of Edward de Vere, who was the 17th Earl of Oxford. He died in 1604. So Shakespeare uh, experts have said that he could not be the author because he died in 1604 and other plays were written after, after 1604. Um, so I say, just like Sylvia Plath, his plays were collected into a book called The First Folio that was published in 1623. The collected plays, I believe, of Edward de Vere. And the reason why it kind of makes sense too is that the first folio was not dedicated to King James I, who was the king of England at that time. It was dedicated to two brothers, William and Philip Herbert. Now, uh, Philip Herbert was married to Susan de Vere, the daughter of Edward de Vere. William Herbert was engaged to Elizabeth de Vere, the daughter of Edward de Vere. So I think, and these two brothers were multimillionaires back in that time. So I believe, and um, Philip and Susan had eight children together. So it wasn't like, um, you know, they, they had a very strong relationship. And the old adage goes, you know, happy wife, happy life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I think that he had the, you know, the plays published. He published 750 books of the first folio which back then would have cost over $500,000 in today's money. So he published 750 copies. So Shakespeare experts have said that um, they, you know, a small syndicate printed up these books, but wouldn't they be afraid of losing the money? I mean, if they didn't sell, I mean, only somebody with a lot of money can afford to lose that kind of that money, you know? And plus back then, there were a lot of typographical errors that were made because they had to take out the blocks of printing and redo them. So it does not really make sense. Wow, that's an incredible story. <laughs> <laughs> I just recently got a, a review from this company. It's, it's with Publishers Weekly and they're a big company here in the United States. And they actually like my book too. They like the conversational tone of it and they thought it was funny and they enjoyed it. So if um, if you're looking for a fun kind of book, I'm not gonna you know um, twist your arm or anything, but it does have some Shakespeare stuff in it, but not, it's because I have to convince some of these diehard people too. So, uh, but it's, it's more of a fun kind of thing. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I like the cover of your book. Our listeners are not going to be seeing it, but can you describe the cover, please? Um, it's kind of a cartoon figure of um, Hamlet holding the skull, but it's a cartoon image uh, of it. Now, what's interesting, too, is that um, the life of Edward de Vere matches so much of the plays of Shakespeare that um, it's, it's pretty incredible because Edward de Vere's father died when he was 12 and Hamlet's father died. And um, Edward de Vere's mother remarried. And so he was sent, Edward de Vere was sent to live with Queen Elizabeth down at the Royal Palace, kind of that's where he grew up. And if you think about it, about 90% of all of Shakespeare's writings take place in these royal settings. So most of the um, settings of the place take place in royal settings, whether it's a, a Duke's palace or um, also a lot of them, like 13, take place in Italy. Edward de Vere traveled to Italy in 1575. He received like a grant from the queen. And the reason why that makes sense is because back then there was the plague. The plague was taking place in Italy and, they, and the people in England didn't want the plague to come back. So you needed special permission to leave the country and to come back. The so-called author, William Shakespeare, was supposed to have um, been brought up in Stratford-upon-Avon. That's where the Globe Theater is now and you can see his house and, and Hathaway. There's a website that you can go to though and it's called um, the Folger Library uh, Documented. So, um, and I have the links in the book, but you can see for yourself when he was baptized, they have the documents there that you can see for yourself. And one of the documents shows two conveyances. Now I'm in real estate, so conveyance you know, doesn't necessarily mean that you bought something. It, in this case, he was a tenant. So John, um, John Shakespeare, William's father, became a tenant in 1575 of a 14 acre property. Now, it, when you're a tenant of a property, generally you are using that property and in 1570, John Shakespeare, you know, the father bought, um, he, he purchased 5,200 pounds of wool. So what it was illegal back then to, to actually buy wool and resell it. And, what, and that's what he was doing. Now, if you are living in a city, and oh, one more thing, what they used to do back then with the wool they would place it in a barrel full of stale urine and they would stomp on it, kind of like the, they, how they make wine in Italy. Now, can you imagine doing that in a city? 
um, oh, your neighbors would complain about the smell, wouldn't they? I mean, exactly. but on a, a 14 acre farm, that's probably who's going to really complain. So it makes more sense for William to live out on this farm than it does for him to be living in the city. But um, call, I call him Stratford. So Stratford experts claim know that he had to live in the city and they, they make all this, uh, you know, the reason why he has to, because according to the British Museum, he read the, um, the, this 15 book masterpiece by Ovid called The Metamorphosis. So just imagine 15 books back in a time when there were no public libraries. Now, Edward de Vere um, lived, you know, with the queen who had the best library in the world. And not only that, his uncle was Arthur Golding who translated the metamorphosis. He, he actually translated the 15 books into English. The British Museum says that Shakespeare must have read both versions, one in Latin and one in English because of, they say that um, certain lines in different plays tell us this. So if you can imagine one person living in a house where all he has to do is walk down some steps and there's his uncle with the books, he could read them or he could, if he can't read them, he would explain them to him. The other guy lives in a farm in a city with no books. Um, his father, John Shakespeare was illiterate. His mother was illiterate. Um, his wife was illiterate. His daughter was illiterate. And that's the thing that makes sense too. If you were the, the greatest writer in English, in the English language, wouldn't you want your daughters to be, at least be able to read your works, especially? And they, I mean, apparently one of them, one daughter could sign her name, but the other one could not. So, and that's, this is the other thing that doesn't make sense. Um, Shakespeare lived 100 miles away from, um, London. Stratford-upon-Avon is roughly a hundred miles. So in Los Angeles, it'd be from like Los Angeles to San Diego. That's a hundred miles. I don't know in Spain what that is, but um, you know. Maybe from here to uh, maybe France. Yeah. Yeah, or Portugal or something, right? I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's not that close. So wouldn't it make sense because it's a three-day journey by horse and he's living there for 20 years to um, write letters. I mean, that would make the most sense. Over 400 years have passed since Shakespeare's death that not one letter has ever been found written in the hand by William Shakespeare to anyone. To me, if, if I got a letter from William Shakespeare, I would keep it. I would pass it down to my you know, family every I would put it in a frame I, there was no way that that thing would be lost so it to me it does not make any sense at all that he you know was the real author it makes much more sense that Edward, Edward de Vere who with the mental disorder and this is the thing that people don't get I mean people that um, have a bipolar disorder oftentimes are paranoid it kind of comes with the, I mean, we've all heard it, a paranoid schizophrenic, probably. I mean, it's not uncommon for them to be paranoid. 
So they, what that means, bipolar means that one day you want to be known as the author, the next day you don't want anything you know, to do with it. So when you're in a manic mood, yes, I want everybody to know about it. When you're depressed, no, I don't want anybody. The depressed states tend to last longer. So they, they could be one or two months, six months. So it lasts much longer. So I, I just have the feeling that most likely he did not want anything to do with it. He was happy that someone else took the, the credit, at least on some days, but then on other days he was probably secretly trying to let people know, no, I was, I did write this, you know, but um, that's, you know, for another day probably. The other thing too is that remember how the, the two daughters of, of Edward Devere, the two daughters were Susan and Elizabeth. They had an uncle who was very famous and their uncle's name was Sir Francis Bacon, who has long been associated or you know, suspected of being the author. So my feeling on that is that most likely um, Edward de Vere, who he hired secretaries. So they, the secretaries pr probably kept copies of all of his plays, then gave them to the daughters once their mother died. And then the daughters probably you know, tried to read them and the spelling was probably weird or they didn't understand it as much. And they probably reached out to their uncle and said, hey, can you make sense of this? He said, sure, I have, you know, I'm their uncle, I'll do it. And then after that, it was published. That's kind of, that's what I think happened. When Edward de Vere was younger, he was a jousting champion, meaning, you know, he would ride on a horse with that long spear or that long lance and try to knock the other person off. He was uh, like a champion, he, like he won tournaments all throughout Europe. And this one writer said, kind of made a joke and said that um, men uh, shake their spears, meaning, you know, that they're afraid of you. And I, it wouldn't surprise me if I was a friend of his, I would call him Shakespeare, you know, because his last name is V-E-R-E. I would probably call him Shakespeare just as a joke, but. Makes a lot of sense. Doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, you had to be investigating all yeah. this stuff. And, yeah, and so what I do is I say that you can fact check me, do your own research, see, read up uh, on this. It's kind of fun. And I mean, I think it's really fun, but. Um, if you do it, you'll, you might get a better understanding. And the other thing too is what I wanna bring out is that the symptoms of bipolar disorder don't come out until a person reaches early adulthood. So when a person reaches 19 to 25, that's when the symptoms come out. And to me, that's when people are usually in college and studying Shakespeare. Wouldn't this be a good time for them to learn about at least you know, if, if it's not a joke, you know, or they take it as just another um, hypothesis to consider, but at least learn about bipolar disorder, the symptoms, and what can be done. And that way they might recognize fellow students who might be, you know, falling um, apart or be able to refer them to some healthcare professional or something like that.
Yeah. It's just that like over 60% of people with bipolar disorder will try or attempt suicide. So it's a, it's a known fact. I mean, it's not um, whether they succeed or not, but they do, they attempt it. So it's good to at least um, know what to do if you're that age. I, I think it just would be more helpful. Mm-hmm. It's And also because a lot of parents don't recognize the symptoms. They just think that um, because it's a, it's a mood disorder, meaning that you cannot stick an, uh, a, a Q-tip up somebody's nose and check for antibodies, or there's no blood test, there's no um, x-ray. So, and, and some Stratfordians will say, well, how can you diagnose this? I mean, so I'm not, all I'm doing is saying, here are the symptoms, do they match? If so, see a health professional, a healthcare professional. Yeah, and Robert, what is the feedback you are having from your readers? The interesting thing, this is the only book I've ever written where um, I've gotten seven emails where people have thanked me for writing it. And usually it will go something like my brother, my brother has bipolar disorder, thank you for writing this. And um, that's, it's, it's actually been very positive. And it's kind of like um, heartbreaking too, when you read some of these um, stories or some of the emails, it's just, it's really um, touching. So um, that's why I think it's important for people to at least read it and um, they could decide what they want, but maybe they can, um, you know, encourage others to find out more about bipolar disorder. Yes, it's very important to read it and you know, in most cases, it's never diagnosed properly, not by the first evaluation. It may take several doctors' evaluations before getting properly diagnosed. Exactly. And what was the most surprising thing you discovered while writing this book? I guess the most uh, surprising thing was that psychiatrists didn't think I was crazy. I mean, I thought, I mean, it's kind of like, I didn't, I, I mean, I just went along with what I saw and kind of like Mr. Monk, you know, investigated. And then I thought at the end, it, people are probably going to think I'm crazy. I thought the yeah, same right. thing. <laughs> yeah. And when this one man, uh, this he's a Shakespeare expert and a psychiatrist said, that you were the first person in over 400 years to come up with this idea. Then, um, you know, and of course my wife said, only you would think of something like that. <laughs> you know? So it brings me back to reality, right? Yeah, it's kind of, uh, it's, it's interesting that um, when I write songs, I do not have a good voice. My wife said that I sound like Bob Dylan, who's, you know, drunk and insisting he's okay to, to uh, you know, drive. So my voice is not good. I don't play a musical instrument. Um, I just sit down and I scribble, and then I will, you know, hum a tune into a recorder and send it to someone. They'll make a piano track, and then someone will sing the words that I've written. It's crazy. I mean, it's not. It's it's totally insane to me mm-hmm. that someone, you know, that people have downloaded a song, you know, ten thousand times or something, and they really like it and it's to me it's totally crazy wow robert congratulations that's so amazing and what is next for you 
my next thing will probably be back in sales. I'm like, um, I've got tentatively like things that I've learned through in sales that are simple little tips. Um, whether you sell a book or you sell real estate, there are little tips that I've learned, you know, just, um, well, just like I was telling you um, how, how I got into songwriting was kind of like through real estate. I mean, um, okay, so it's like this. I've been selling real estate for over 35 years. So it gets, you know, you were doing things and it's not easy to like, shake the bushes and say, do you want to sell your house? And you're supposed to do that every day, right? And um, it gets boring. And so my wife said to me one day, like, what do I have to do? Put a gun to your head to get to you to make some phone calls or something. And then I realized that's it. And so I immediately drove to Walmart and I came back and my wife said, what are you doing? And I, I had bought a timer because I told her, you know, if just think of it, if somebody did put a gun to your head, you would need to know exactly how much time, you know, you wouldn't want to um, prospect for 28 minutes and 15 seconds or 35 minutes and 10 uh -huh. seconds, you would want that exact 30 minute time. So that's what I would do. I would play around with a, a timer and pretend like somebody's got a gun to my head and I've got to do this now. And so I, that's kind of how I started um, having fun prospecting again. Then after that, I thought, well, what if I could do something creative for like 18 minutes and 18 minutes, I will put myself into a room and I'll start writing on my legal pad. So that's what really I started doing that. And when I couldn't think of new words, I would just repeat the, the some of the old words. And that's exactly how that started. So it, but it's little tips like that, that sometimes um, you know, that someone else can learn from perhaps and, um, you know, gain something from it. So I know that you have to know that you are already welcome to the Relatable Voice when you have this book, the new book about how to sell anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's going to be, that's kind of like a, a working title. So I'm going to, I don't know, jazz it up a little bit. I don't know. But uh, yeah, it'll be something, something simple. I like the idea. I, I really cannot sell anything. <laughs> I am the <laughs> worst um, salesperson in this world. And Robert, where can our listeners find you? And of course, your book, Shaky's Madness. I, my website is just uh, www.robertboog.com. Dot com. So it's just one word. And um, it is on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and like wherever you buy books. Um, and I've written other books before. So other books are there too. The one that is really popular, the one that I, I get probably 15 Facebook likes uh, like every other day, it seems like um, the one that has probably sold the most is uh, it's called Is She the One? That's more of a romantic comedy. So it's kind of kind of like how I met my wife kind of. Thing. So the question is, how do you know when she is the one, you know, that, uh, you know, because no, there's not like fireworks that go off in the sky or a big bell rings and, you know, so 
that's kind of the premise of that book. And uh, I don't know, for some, for some reason, people like the humor in it. They like the stories and it's not, I mean, it's fictional, but yeah, it's got a lot of stuff that happened with me and my wife and stuff. So okay. it's kind of a fun, yeah. Robert was very nice to talk to you. I had a lot of fun knowing all these gossips. <laughs> <laughs> now in reality, I think it's a very good point. <laughs> Robert, it was very nice to talk to you. Come back. Okay, sounds good. Thank you very much. Okay, you too. Ciao. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified when the next one is posted. Please rate this podcast and share it with your friends. Thank you for listening and remember, relationships don't exist. Relating does. Until next time. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.